0: Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Jilly Smith, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. It's about all of life through the prism of food. And this week I'm with the chef and author Alex Jackson, whose latest book Frontier is about the food of France's borderlands.
1: You know, the idea is that we'd have a conversation about how they're connected about Provence and, and Marseille and, and Provence. It's a portal to the rest of the Mediterranean.
0: The noble rot chef and former restaurateur at Sardine tells us about his long love affair with France and particularly with its food. But it's the edges that we're after here. The Italianness of the French Riviera, the spices of Provence, the melting pot of Marseille. It's about an adventure in French cooking through the prism of otherness that makes modern France so French. We began by defining terms what for him is a frontier.
1: Well, you know, in, in the literal sense it's a border. That's it. It's a frontier. But frontier has a more sort of aspirational connotation, I think. It's more positive. You know, it's a frontier is like makes you think of the wild west or something or like, you know. I was a Star Trek fan when I was a kid. You know, it's a what it represents is a sort of it's an exciting moment from passing from one place to another. And I think that being on a frontier implies that you're looking out at something which is in front of you, which is an unknown space, a sort of exciting place. For me, it's sort of adventure and exoticism and everything like that. It's
0: about crossing it, isn't it? Frontiers are about what's on the other side. Borders are what's stopping you. It's a barrier.
1: Yeah, frontiers sort of implies that you're willing to go beyond it. Like That's the whole thing. Is it's like I would like to cross the frontier. I would like yeah. to, you know. And it's like you know, all those organisations like Médecins Sans Frontières. It's without borders is a good thing, and uh you know, I think mm. that the the French frontière rather than English borders or borderlands represents, you know, does a does a lot of work for the English speaker in a way, for, and that's why I chose it as. The title for my book.
0: It's all about adventures and it's about the edges. It's about the others. It's about the coming together of the others as well. So it's more than just crossing into somebody else's land to have your adventure. It's about what we can learn from the coming together. So it is, it's those edges that are really interesting. And to use a cooking term, it's lovely and crispy and <laughs> melds into each other. Why did you choose the edges, the others to, to, for your latest cookbook?
1: So there's two reasons. The first one is that the, the border regions have some really interesting food. The sort of uh, crossovers are more apparent. Um, you know, when you go to the French-Italian Riviera, you see things that seem sort of quite French, but also quite Italian. And you can sort of see the history in a dish quite easily. But I think what's really interesting for me is um, the idea that from outside France's modern borders came all these ideas. My original idea for the subtitle of the book was Outside Influence on French Cuisine. Um, because I, I find that really interesting that the the this French cuisine that's become sort of codified and it's it's one of the world's sort of most highly regarded cuisines, but it's also the most well recorded and set in stone and uh, what I'm trying to say is look, it wasn't always like that. You know, French cuisine has come from somewhere and uh, the borders I think are a sort of neat uh illustration of that it's a good way to start the conversation i'm not saying that you know only in those border regions is the influence apparent that's not true but uh i think that talking about the the borders and the frontiers and you know gives a sort of gentle introduction to the history and uh and then we can talk a bit more generally about french cuisine which is kind of what i'm really interested in too it's not just i want to zoom in on those little regions i want to do that because it's it's interesting and the food's tasty, but really it's a it's the start of a conversation.
0: Yeah. Well, let's just swoop around, um, a, a sort of a mental map of, of France, just to kind of put some real flavor around that. So you've st- talked about the Italian French Riviera then to, you know, the Southwest, all the different influences between the borders within France itself, the Basque country, mm. um, the Spanish influence, you know, it's really, really meaty, isn't it? And, you know, one of the things that I found really interesting is, you know that idea that when we think about French food, you know, we do still think about the greats, Carême, Escoffier. You do, as a chef, you're still pulling mm. a- upon those kind of flavors, and you know, putting your modern twist on stuff. But as a historian, and you caught you, you say, I am not a food historian. In this book, you are, Alex, and we're going to call well, you, uh, you know. food historian. Um, but this is not the food that you're finding in all those places. You're talking about the rustic experience. This is really not oak cuisine, and yeah, and. And that's what's lovely about it. Tell me about, you know, one of the regions you've been to recently.
1: Uh, last summer, I went to uh, the Ariège with a friend of mine. And I'd never been to the Ariège before. You know, it's just like, it's the Pyrenees, but it's kind of halfway between. It's not quite the Roussillon, it's not the Basque Country. It's, uh, it's, it's really the mountain, you know. Uh, and the food, was, uh, the food was great. You know, I was staying with my, with my friend's family. So it was a lot of just home cooking. But when we went out to eat, it's like, it's pretty rough and ready, the food. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I write about in the book is that there's a, like, carpaccio of trout, and that was it. It was just trout and basil and olive oil. And I was like, wow. it's You don't think of that as the food of the mountain, but it is. Because you've got lake trout and you've got oil, you know. And um, it was really interesting to eat something which is that starkly simple. And uh, I think that's what's interesting for me when I've traveled to France is when you find something like really very rustic, like in the true sense of the word, I find that quite exciting because it's sort of there's no embellishment. And sometimes when I travel to France and eat, I get slightly frustrated because what I want to eat is simple country cooking. And what I get is like some chefs attempt to like tart it up and jazz it a bit. And I'm, I've no interest in it. You know, like there's plenty of people doing. (laughs) jazz <laughs> and food up in london and what i wanted was something that was a bit truer to its roots but um yeah there's a lot of meat you know there's like a lot of pork there's a lot of game um it's just tasty hearty stuff
0: I mean, I was in Perigord for three weeks, uh, this summer and it was so interesting because actually Perigord isn't really a touristy place. Um, and you know, there was the first restaurant we went to was a recommendation. In fact, all the restaurants we went to were recommendations, but you know, there was this performance of Frenchness for the tourists in the first place we went to. And it was so not, it just didn't even feel authentic in, in any way. It was like uh-huh. something out of the seventies for a start. And I noticed it was, you know, in the Lady Routier's guide and I just thought of all the Routier's. Michelin, You know, they're all for people sort of passing through to have this kind of this idea of what French, posh French food should look like. And, you know, actually what real French food is what the Pompiers were eating for their lunch across the road um, en masse, because that's what they do. They down tools and they go and have lunch, don't they? Uh, all workers do and that was the food that we found the michelin star food was amazing and really good value but that's the experience of of french cooking isn't it is that what your you found on your travels around france that it's a it's moved a very long way from escoffier
1: i think that there's both you know at the same time there's the fine cooking the um the michelin star what have you and then there's the sort of food that everyone actually eats every day and then there, actually there's a third which is the food that people eat in their home which I'm kind of even more interested in but I mean obviously that's harder to get to you need to know a few people yeah. but I think that's what is exciting about France is you can get something which does both you know next to each other on the street and you can go and have a Michelin-starred lunch and it's like really good value I have a bit less interested in that when I'm traveling because you know I'm a chef I work in restaurants I eat in restaurants in London and You know, London's one of the great restaurant cities of the world. You know, it's amazing. But what you don't get is the, like, really hearty, rustic country cooking.
0: Yeah. You did a French degree at university and then you, you stayed in France and you went traveling around France, just like Alice Waters did. And you ended up at Chez Panisse working with Alice Waters. How did that happen? Was it just your shared love of all things sort of French and rustic?
1: Well, Chez Panisse is a sort of restaurant that I'd read about from afar. You know, it's sort of one that I admire from afar. And I was working in restaurants in London and I got the opportunity to go. To San Francisco um, to for a month or something to work in some restaurants. And the number one restaurant that I really want to work at is Panisse in Berkeley. Um I sort of got an introduction somehow and said, Look, you know, I'm a young head chef working in London. I love to come and stage. Uh, you know, I wasn't there for long, you know, and they wouldn't really let me do much. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and they were kind of like, you know, who's this guy? But there was one evening where I got to cook like the service on the line, they gave me a section. And um, it's the most incredible place, you know. It's like downstairs, there's two restaurants. There's the upstairs and downstairs. Upstairs they do a la carte. It's the cafe, it's a bit more casual. Downstairs is is uh, set menu only. Uh, and that's really, how, when I started cooking at restaurants, that's what I did a lot of the time. I worked at Dot Kitchen with Stevie Powell And um, when it first opened, it was only set menu in the evening because it, it started as a pop-up and then we'd start doing like a short a la carte menu in, in the at lunch and then a few evenings a week do a set menu that would you know it was thematic it'd be about autumn or it'd be about a cookbook or an author um anyway and that's kind of how I got into Chapinese, reading the books to think about ideas for the menus or you know we'd cook things that were reference Chapinese. um so yeah one evening I got the chance to cook which was um Everyone was sort of like, Well, who's gonna do the garnish? And they were kind of looking round the table outside. You know, everyone sits around like podding beans whilst the and the menu's under discussion. And it's like, you know, they know all the farmers by name and it's like the last of Linda's beans with the first of John's or whatever, you know, and it's like it is sort of dreamy, magical. It kind of doesn't seem real. And you cook, you know, downstairs restaurant, you cook the set menu for like forty-five people in the first half. And then you stop and clean down and everyone cooks like a few portions of each thing and all the cooks go and eat the whole meal in its entirety mm-hmm. with a bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. And then you get back mm-hmm. up and you cook the rest of the, the dinner, the other 45 people. Yeah. And it's the most amazing thing. So like, you know, I was only there for a little bit, but I got to eat what the food is at Chez Panisse in the whole menu for the time that I was there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, they did, they did let me do a bit of cooking. Uh, I didn't, I didn't mess it up.
0: But it's the spirit of Alice Waters, isn't it? I mean, she, she had that experience in the 1970s, pretty much probably what you had that, the same experience. And when she went to, to set up Chez Panisse, it was a little pop-up, wasn't mm. it? It was that sort of set menu. And it was about you eat what is in season and what is available now uh, as they do mm. in France. You know, that legacy is enormous uh she's probably the most influential um chef in the world in fact in the western world anyway um when you're moving around france when you're travelling now are you do you feel the kind of the, the ghost of of alice water's in you are you still finding new stuff and getting so excited about it that you have to bring it back to well to noble rot where you are now
1: i don't think i like i'm not discovering anything that hasn't been discovered before you know, I'm maybe discovering it for the first time myself in situ. And that, that's exciting enough for me. You know, I'm not like, I'm not like, um.
0: Well, that's all she did. Mm. I mean, it's not that she discovered anything that hadn't existed no, before. Course. It was just that she was so blown away mm. by it, and then she did something and changed the world. Um You can't change that world because she's already been <laughs> and a few people in her wake. But are you kind of having those complete sort of epiphanies that she had? It's like, oh, my God, this is so simple. This is just so magical. I have to take it back and put it on the plate at Noble Rock.
1: Sometimes it's difficult to translate it, you know, Like, and I think that... um because I would go and eat something and a few things that I ate when I was away, I was like, wow, you know, this would be really good for the menu. But often I, I eat things that wouldn't be good, that wouldn't work in the restaurant, you know? And it's like, that's the frustrating thing about being a chef, to be honest, is that like lots of the food I would like to cook doesn't work in a restaurant. And uh, it's, you know, part of being a, a chef is translating what you'd like to do. And it's like, actually, you're doing 200 covers a day. You've got, you're serving 80 people in two and a half hours. You can't mess about, you know, and you have to do it in a certain way and everyone orders different things. And there are a few things that, like, I've cooked for the, for the book and tested for the book that would never work in the restaurant. And actually, when I have tried them in the restaurant, they haven't worked, you know, for various reasons. But uh, I, I'm kind of, as a chef, I'm kind of always a bit frustrated about the, the format. <laughs> you know, I'd love to just cook for a table of six once a day and just they have the set menu and everyone eats the same thing. That'd be great commercially that's not really viable you have to do a lot more dinners than that right? you'd have to you'd have to charge more than we do anyway
0: (laughs) um let's start going through some of your your food moments the stuffed fried sardines why do you love sardines
1: oh well they're just tasty and cheap and just sort of obviously delicious everyone cooks them the same way you just grill it we just roast it we fry it you know it's always quick fast uh it's always sort of quite suited to sort of simple cooking You know, you don't, like sardines, you don't think about fine dining when you think about sardines. You think about, like, a beach somewhere or a barbecue. Um, And, I, you know, I named my restaurant Sardine because I liked them a lot. Um, And I kind of, the restaurant was a small little thing. (laughs) And I thought, I don't know, I thought it was a cute name. The one problem was some people thought it was a fish restaurant. And I can see that that might have been confusing. (laughs) Um, Anyway, let's move on.
0: Take me to eat sardines in Nice.
1: So I went to Nice with two of my oldest friends, Tom and Joe, and we went on a research trip, but we did quite a lot of drinking. After the first night we went out and uh, there was yeah, we got quite drunk. And then we went for to La Miranda for lunch, which was like number one on the hit list. And La Miranda is a really special restaurant. I've talked about it recently. I talk about it all the time actually. Um it's that's what it's one of the best meals I've ever had in France, just because the the whole sort of ethos that ethos of the place was exactly what, you know, I love and a lot of other people do. Anyway, the the chef is called the Dominique Lestank, uh he used to work at um the Negresco sort of in Nice, the sort of posh two Michelin star place, you know, in the big turreted tower. Mm -hmm. Um and then decided he didn't want to cook that kind of food anymore and he bought this local restaurant that had been there for a while and took it over and just decided to carry on just cooking the classics. And he makes you know fried sardines, and he makes pato pistou, and he makes pissaladiere, or um the version tot de monton without the anchovy and he makes uh la with fried penisse he makes daube de boeuf uh, with fried panisse. My friend had boudin noir with apples and mashed potato. We had a little of really fresh goat's cheese with olive oil and a bit of honey. It was just perfect. And it's this tiny little place. They don't take reservations, uh, on by telephone. They only take cash and Nice is cool. Like I went to, I lived in Nice when I was like 18, 17 or 18. I was on a gap year. I was like, yeah, I'll go to Nice and like, I'll work on the boats or something. Turned up, had no idea. You actually need some qualifications. And basically we just sort of drunk beer the whole time and didn't go to any nice restaurants. And anyway, when I went back to Nice, I was kind of. You know, I wasn't sure if I would like it, but I loved it. And the, the old town where the Miranda is is, really cool. Um, there's all these old pasta shops, you know, and it's like, and the market's incredible. There's all these different types of tapenade and the food's amazing. And uh, at 12 o'clock, they fire off a cannon. I don't know why. It's like, boom, lunchtime. And uh, so we went in uh, uh, to Miranda at 12 o'clock and I was, you know, we managed to get the booking that I was so nervous we wouldn't get. And uh, it's a little chalkboard menu. It's the same stuff. You know, it rotates a few things. All the classics are there. And, uh, yeah, the pizza pisselladier, the onion and anchovy tart, is the best one I've ever had. And uh, the dough, I'm going to try and work on it. It's, it's like I sort of use this focaccia dough. And the fried sardines were something that I was like, have to put that in the book and you know cook at the restaurant and just cook it as much as possible and interestingly because like the premise of the trip was like we go to Nice and we get the train to Genoa and it was like cool over the frontier on the train and it's quite fun because you know like you don't need to show your passport it's just yeah. you know and you forget that like you know in Britain you need to like queue up to you know get into other countries but in France and Italy they don't really bother with that. And, uh, yeah, you get on the train, and the idea was to be like, look at Nice and then look at Genoa and see what was similar. And, uh, I, the fried sardines actually, we saw in both cities. Um, so it's not unique to, to one or the other. It's not necessarily yeah. French or Italian. And
0: these are stuffed with Swiss chard and coated in breadcrumbs and fried.
1: Mm, chopped yeah. Swiss chard, a little Parmesan. And people are always like, don't put cheese with fish and it's rubbish. Fish. You know, what the Italians know? Um, But it's it's completely delicious and like very 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 simple. And I like how you sort of mount, you butterfly the sardine, and then you mound up the chard, uh, and you can put loads of it. And they so they look like swollen stuffed things, Um, and yeah, deep fry it or bake it. It's it's really delicious.
0: The other way from Genoa is Provence, Mm -hmm. Um, not very far from Nice at all. And your second food moment is Richard Olney's Chicken Pilaf Provençal. Richard Olney, you mention a lot in this book. Um, A bit obsessed, can
1: I just say? Yeah, yeah, a bit obsessed. I just read his memoir, Reflection, which is amazing, sort of um, (laughs) (laughs) pretentious memoir, rambling. Just, you know, there's a lot of like what fine wines he drunk? and he's like, oh, Natash 61. And, um, but it is incredible. And like, he's obviously an incredible cook and an incredible person, incredible teacher. Um, and I, I really, really love his, his writing. Um, and his, his cookbooks are, are my, he's my favorite food writer. I think, you know, it's not necessarily my, you know, but he's, he's a fantastic teacher.
0: And this, and this recipe is actually very Provençal, but what I think is really interesting about this is that, you know, the, the, the flavors are rooted in the Mediterranean, as you say, chicken, butter, saffron, tomatoes and basil. Um, but it's what Claudia Broden talks about in MED as la cuisine du soleil or la cuisine des épices. And it was very much mm. about the, again, the frontiers uh you know the the food that the spices that have traveled across those frontiers um mm. you know it, it, that's what is that what for you this this uh particular chicken Provencal is about the pilaf
1: yeah exactly i think it's um uh it just shows that provence is part of the mediterranean in in in, in a way that the rest of france maybe isn't you know and it's like uh Provence is important because sort of a lot of the food has filtered through Provence and through Marseille as well mm-hmm. into, into France. Um, but I think this recipe really shows, you know, cause the French love to cook stuff with all pilaf and it's not really the same way as like a, it's not really a pulao or a, a proper pilaf from the, from the Levant or the Middle East. The, but I cooked it a bit like that because at home I cook a lot, you know, when I'm not thinking about French food, I cook a lot of curry and stuff, you know, like, uh, because I, I just love cooking and it's sort of, When I'm not when I'm at home, I don't cook like fine dining French food. That'd be mental. But um, anyway, so I cook a lot of 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 pilaf, of pulao, whatever you want to call it, with chicken in. So I kind of sort of I saw this recipe in Simple French Food that I'd always admired. You know, he's got like saffron flowers in it and stuff. And but what I liked is applying the technique that I used for a different cuisine to make this one. I think I think it's really successful. I made it. uh, I tested it at work actually. I made it for staff food. It's a great recipe. You know, you sort of you're cooking chicken, you brown chicken and courgettes and layer it all in the pot with the rice and onions. It's kind of quite simple. But then you've got this on the on the side you've got garlic, butter, tomatoes and saffron so you make and you cook that separately. So the tomatoes are just turning into a sauce and you've got this delicious sort of tomato saffron butter thing. When the pilaf's cook, cooked but not quite at the stage where you turn it off and leave it to steam on the heat, you pour over that saffron mixture. Mm. And then kind of when you stir it through at the end, it's a bit like a biryani, you know, you don't mix all the layers. It it mixes on the plate uh, or on the dish that you present it in. For me, it's kind of represented like the similarities between French technique or Provençal ideas and ideas that I've seen elsewhere from around the Med, you know. You know, the idea is that we'd have a conversation about how they're connected, about Provence and... And Marseille and Provence, it's a portal to the rest of the Mediterranean.
0: Well, exactly. I mean, Marseille is where we're going next in your third food moment. This is an essay on cassoulet, but it is also really a deep dive into the fantastic otherness that is what Marseille is all about and what Mm. Cuyabes is all about. So tell me, first of all, why why you wanted to write a big essay in the middle of the book of recipes um, about something as rich as cassoulet.
1: Right, well, because I mean, there's just so much to talk about, and I think that there's much more value, I think, in talking around the recipes than me giving another recipe for cassoulet. And that's kind of what I say in the piece. I'm just like, no, I, there's no recipe here. Like, just read Paula Wolfert or something, you know. But I think cassoulet is a really good example uh, when we talk about. Uh, a, a dish which has become emblematic of the cuisine of France, or particularly the Southwest France. You know, cassoulet is the dish in that part of the world. And everybody cooks it. It's everywhere. And you can go to tourist restaurants and you have 16 different types of cassoulet It's a dish which is a sort of very storied history, you know, and you can literally read the stories which are made up about the seeds of Castle Nordry, which is quite fun. It's, it's a good introduction to, uh, the idea that the techniques and influences have come from elsewhere. And in this case, you know, it's, a, it's the the Arab conquest of, of Europe all those years ago, and the ideas that came north with them. And I suppose, you know, if you talk to someone nowadays and say, Castellet sort of has its roots in Arab cookery or North African cookery, they'd sort of be like, well, what do you mean? But, you know, it's, it's a very old dish, you know, and uh, it comes from dishes which are even older. Also, I think? Castellet is an interesting thing to talk about because there are a million different recipes and people have written about it, you know, so much. Uh, it's because it's, um, it's hard to get right, you know, and that's kind of what I find most interesting to talk about it is You know, like, what what is it really? It's just, it's beans and meat in a pot, but there's like a million points of cookery.
0: I mean, it's a fantastic metaphor for what we're talking about. You know, Mm. you're talking about ingredients to put in a pot of cassoulet. We're talking ultimately about the people who eat it. And we are made up of many, many different influences and many different histories. And it's it's a lovely, lovely way of talking about that. Marseille is, for you, uh, a perfect example of what you're trying to say in the book, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a really exciting city. Um, and every time I go, um, it's just so exciting to, to be in. And I've got a few friends who have moved there now and are excited to go visit them soon. Um, there, there's just, it's a real melting pot in the like, you know, like nowhere else in France, really. You know, it's the second city. Um, and, uh, it's the food is so exciting because there's so much from everywhere. And, uh, I think that's what, you know, it's easy to, to forget is like, you know, it's not really the city that's produced the food, it's the, the people who have come to the city, you know, and it's, um yeah. that's why I find it, That that's why the city so exciting.
0: And it's about keeping your flavour, it's keeping your identity uh, and, mm. and, and not diffusing the flavours. For your fourth food moment, we are leaping up to the top of France. We are going to the Savoie area. This is real Diana Henry area. You know, she's writing her next book on North now. Um, We've just done roast figs. And uh, she talks a lot about the same sort of things, actually. But um, tell us about Savoie and this civet of hair with green chartreuse.
1: Oh, this is an amazing recipe. This I first read about in um, in an amazing book called The Auberge of the Flowering Hearth. It's about this auberge in a valley in Savoie and this guy, the, the guy, the, the author goes to stay with the ladies who run it. And there's a cook and there's a front of house lady. And she makes, that she gets all these fine wines and makes all these delicious drinks and cocktails and tinctures and everything. And, the the woman who's the cook writes these sort of fantastic set menus, you know, and they just eat. It's like simple food of, a, of a countryside auberge. And, um, but they're they're amazing and elaborate and um the the food's incredible. Anyway, this is this is from that, it's adapted from that book. Um Chartres is the sort of strange green liqueur that comes from there. It's, you know, the monks make it in the Chartreuse Valley. Um it's like sort of a blend of forty different wild herbs and I won't pretend to start to know what's in it. But it's incredible and actually cooking with Chartres is quite interesting. And um Uh, when I saw the idea in the book I was like I have to cook it and uh, it comes out really nice you know it's like hair is um, people shouldn't be scared of hair it's not it's really not as poo as everyone assumes Um, it's completely delicious and it's sort of flavored with quatre pieces you know like dried ginger and cloves and nutmeg and pepper and uh, a lot of body from the red wine dried seps and then it's just finished with a bit of chartreuse at the end you know and traditionally like the blood from the hair and the liver, pureed liver, which I can't often get. The blood, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, I made it quite a lot at the restaurant, and I made it recently with my friend for a meal at his restaurant with pasta, fresh pasta. Obviously, hair with pasta, like cooked in wine, is like it's really Northern Italian. Feels like Piedmonte, and then uh, the chartreuse is like obviously other place too. And uh, th- this is another recipe that I thought was just illustrates the point that like the food of Savoie is not that different from the food of the north of italy you know it's not that far away and it's like they're both people who live in the mountain and uh, the traditions have evolved like in parallel but also there's influence on each other and um, i just find it fascinating
0: thanks for listening do rate and review the podcast if you like it over on apple podcasts and then head to my Substack to see what alex has for us over on extra bites